Welcome to today's episode. This one's called The Dark Triad. The Dark Triad's an idea I heard about recently, and it's to do with personality traits. And it's something that I'm going to be talking about a little bit that way so that I can introduce you to the idea if you haven't heard of it. But I'm also going to be applying this idea to physical development. So there's going to be... I'm going to talk about a dark triad that I've come up with for muscle building and also for fat loss. Now, just to... Uh, to, to give you a warm-up to what this episode's going to be, I'm, I tried to avoid the kind of common things you might hear about. So it's not... I'm not going to avoid the things that might seem obvious or that you might have just read a hundred other places. I wanted to try to come up with something a little bit unique, but certainly important as well. So things I felt that are potentially holding holding you back from achieving your goals. So, just as a brief introduction to the idea of the dark triad, this is based on personality traits. Now, personality traits, this is the idea of personality traits versus personality types. Only recently did I quite wrap my mind around the difference between those. So, for those of you who might have had the same confusion as I did, there's something called personality types. Now, these you might have seen, there's a lot of online tests for, there's 16 different personality types, and what they do is they have four different dimensions, and they measure if you're introverted or extroverted, if you're sensing or judgmental, these types of things, and they there will be a test, and based on that, they can give you your personality type. It'll be a four-letter code. I've seen, I've seen additions to that where it's, I, th- I think a fifth one is sometimes added on with a hyphenate. But basically, the intention of those is to break us up into different types. So this is your type. Based on all these personality um, types or personality um, I, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, your, your tendencies, I suppose, then this would be the type of person you are. So that's the intentions with that. Whereas with personality traits, they've got, they had the big five personality traits. And those tend to be pretty well accepted across the psychological community. And those are to, are measured individually and not necessarily, not in the attempt to group you into a type, but to measure where you are on these various traits. Now, more recently, there was some thought given to the fact that maybe there's another one that could be added on to these big five. So the big five being, I'll see if I can remember them here. They've been renamed in the attempt to, and I, I don't know why that is. Actually, my feeling is that because the personality uh, traits are not intended to say, well, they're good or bad. It's just how you are. So, you, for example, one of them is uh, neuroticism. So, if you are high, highly neurotic, then maybe you beat yourself up a lot. You are prone to depression, that kind of thing. 
But that's not necessarily saying it's bad. It's just saying that's where you are on that um, on that dimension of personality. So the five. So yeah, there was neuroticism, openness. Um, uh, introversion slash extroversion. Um, what were the other ones? Conscientiousness. I know I'm missing one here, but anyway, they've been been renamed in the in the efforts to try to find this sixth one. So the the new names I actually know it, which is extroversion, emotionality agreeableness that's the one i missed agreeableness that's name has stayed the same openness conscientiousness so what they found and mostly it was done through looking at other cultures and other i believe it was korean they looked at because the language is so different and these are based on languages we've taken these traits have to do with how we describe linguistically certain traits and the one, the newest one they've added is humility slash honesty, or honesty slash humility. I can't remember which way, but anyway, it's called the H factor sometimes. And there's actually a book, I believe it's called the H factor, that I just finished reading. Sometimes I forget the titles. I know that's bad, but I think it's called the H factor. And it it was a great book actually. It described the different the way they came up with this H dimension of personality, why they came up with it, what it means if you are low on this, because this is the one that I, I feel you can say objectively, it's probably not a good thing to be low on this one. Uh, for, but what they demonstrate is that if you're low in honesty slash humility, and high in other traits, what kind of a person that might be. So it's quite interesting to see some of the things. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that as I go on because essentially this dark triad is where our aspects of personality that are on the extreme low end of this honesty, humility, this H factor. I'll just call it that from now on. So if you're low on this H factor, your tendency would be towards these dark triad. So there's three aspects of this personality that are essentially what we might call malevolence. They're, they're the fundamental aspects of the worst humanity can produce. Now, I know this is objective, but I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we can say that there's certainly traits that aren't good to uh, to to anyone else to other people to society as a whole so so what I've done here I'm gonna kind of go back and forth between them I've broken them down I've made three um, items for each of this dark triad so what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna go back and forth between the psychological dark triad items that that have been defined as well as my own uh, both for fat loss and for muscle building so number one let's start with the first dimension 
So, the first one is narcissism. And this is one that it, it actually ensnared me at one point in my life. And I'm probably not alone in this. And the reason, my reason for having fallen into it might be somewhat similar to other people. It actually came from, because it came from the fact that growing up I never had very good self-esteem. And then after my divorce, I was really focused on trying to make sure that I didn't make the same kind of mistakes I made in my marriage. And so I took a good hard look at myself and tried to realize what is wrong with me here. What am I doing? What was my... What things about me were unhelpful to my marriage. And I realized that there was insecurity in me. And this was part of having low self-esteem. So I looked at ways to overcome that. And in the process of overcoming that, I think I overcompensated. I tried to build towards having confidence. But I think I overstepped. I think... And what made it worse was the fact that as I was taking these steps to improve myself in, uh, internally, I also, it grew my ego because I was telling myself how great I, I was because I knew these things now and because I was adopting this lifestyle. So narcissism really took hold of me to the point where I had to, fortunately, I I think I realized that as well and I was able to pull it back enough so that and that's how life is sometimes right so sometimes you you overcompensate and then you have to be reeled back in and that that was that was um how it was in my case um I think one of the more sneaky aspects of, of, I guess, what you might call pathologic narcissism is this envy that tends to go along with it, which is difficult to to think about if you haven't, or it might be difficult to, to think about if you haven't actually gone through this process, because what happens is when you're, when you're narcissistic, you are... The world is about you. You have this really high opinion of yourself. But the problem is that when you get knocked back by reality and you realize someone out there is actually better at something than you, then that makes you resentful towards that person and envious of what they have. So this is one of the reasons why I feel that it's a terrible attribute to have because when, when you know... Um, uh, when confidence turns into narcissism because because you can't be a functional member of society when you're incapable of having admiration for those around you who achieve highly. That's what we want to aspire to is to be able to look at the accomplishments of someone else 
and have admiration for them rather than jealousy. Um, one of the, the, the primary, I suppose, antidote, as far as I can tell, is humility, which makes sense. This is why we, we say it's the opposite end of the, the H factor, because humility allows us to acknowledge that that we're not everything, that we have places we can strive towards, we're not perfect, we're not above anybody else, um, and, and it's the core, I feel, of growth and learning. So let's, uh, let's move on. So that was the first psychological dark triad aspect. For physical, for muscle building, this is an interesting one I came across recently. I've been reading this book that, it, it's a textbook, what's it called? The Personal Training Manual, something like that. It was a fantastic book and it's it's intended for personal trainers so it gives you a good overview of of body mechanics and joints and and there's a lot of really great nuggets in there and one of the things what it it brings up when talking about hypertrophy is this book suggests that the number one reason that people don't notice development in hypertrophy is because they're resting too long between sets so this is what I decided to use for number one for the dark triad of muscle building, which is resting too long. Now it needs to be said that, of course, this is specific to hypertrophy. When it comes to strength building, resting longer, resting three to as much as about five minutes, I've found to have huge benefits in terms of allowing me to push more weight on the subsequent sets. And that stands to reason, you know, you're replenishing your glycogen, etc. However, when we're working specifically towards hypertrophy, that's sort of what I mean when I say muscle building, then what we want to do is we want to allow for the growth hormone effect, the lactic acid buildup, that are going to lead to a cortisol release, all of this which is going to result in muscle growth. So in order to create the proper hormonal environment for specifically for muscle growth, try cutting down your rests between your sets. Now you can do this in a few ways. The I'm actually doing it in a few ways right now and I've noticed almost instantaneously a, a huge benefit in terms of my my muscle size seems to be developing and the ways I'm doing it is I'm doing well I was gonna say supersets but I think mechanical drop sets might be more accurate I'm doing a lot of these these types of things so I'm doing three Usually it'll be three, two, at least two for, for some of the smaller muscle groups, but oftentimes three movements subsequently. No, no, so it's getting to, it's almost giant sets. 
so I'll do for the I'll give you the example of how I've been doing chest because this is a fun one actually I learned this technique years ago from Tom Venuto but I didn't keep it up mostly because it's so difficult so if you want a bench that can both incline and decline and it'll be three sets of dumbbell bench presses and I've been doing dumbbell bench presses a lot lately because I find I can they target the chest more so I mean I love barbell bench presses but in the interest of of specifically building muscle I've been enjoying the dumbbell movements so I'll start off with an incline you always start with the hardest one first so it'll I'll do about a 30 degree incline dumbbell bench press then and so targeting around 8 to 12 reps then immediately it'll be a switching to a um, a flat bench press do my I'll usually keep the weight the same at least for the first set and then do again till failure hopefully aiming for between 8 and 12 reps and then immediately going to a decline uh, dumbbell bench press same weight going to failure now I've I have found a lot of times by the time I get to that third set there's so much even though it's the easiest movement of them and it there's still so much um, I think for lack of a better term I'll say lactic acid buildup but the muscle is burning and it takes all I've got to get through that set and usually I won't even be able to hit the eight reps um, at keeping the weight the same so what I'll normally do for the subsequent because I like to do about four sets of that and even between those sets I'm I'm going to you want to keep the rest short so it'll be less than a minute and uh, so so with minimal rest then I'll go to my next one for the subsequent sets often what I'll do is I'll drop the weight as well just that way I can get more reps out so I'll start out with um, with with one set of weights for the incline and drop the weights down and do the flat bench to try to get up to the 12 reps and then again, go to the decline, drop the weights a, a second time, and finish them out. Another way that I've done this, I, I'm not doing this currently, but I've done it in the past, and I've found it to be, again, effective but very difficult, is the idea of density training. And here, what you're doing is you're, you'll actually need a timer. to, So you'll do a set, and then you'll set your timer and then as soon as it hits the say 60 seconds then you do your next set and then you hit the timer and so between each of your sets you're doing a timer the reason you do this is because you're gonna progress the next week you're gonna drop it down either somewhere between 5 to 15 seconds less so let's say you're ambitious and you wanna drop it down 15 seconds so you'll do the same weight but this time and the same number of reps this time you'll drop it down so your timer will say 45 seconds in between so this type of density training is 
again, you're training up your, um, your, your lactic acid system and it can be effective. I did it, the most longest I did that for was about four or five weeks. So I, I'd progressively decrease the rest time. And then when I got to below about 15 seconds rest, at that point, you're, well, I mean, there's there's very little rest. So what I did was, by the time I got to 15 seconds rest, then I'd reset. So I'd increase the weight, but now I'm doing, go back to 60 seconds. So you can keep progressing that way. I didn't find it terribly sustainable myself, but I can, I do honestly believe that if, if you have the, the perseverance, then you can find a lot of benefit in training that way. Again, it's a hypertrophy method, so you're probably not going to be training with hypertrophy all the time. Um, strength training is a great way to build up the foundation for it, so most people find that, um, going back and forth between strength training and hypertrophy training is the more effective way. Also, you can train for what you might call endurance to build up your, your lactic acid threshold from time to time. It's not something that most people find sustainable. The problem with strength training and, and um, duration training is that you don't see the kind of muscle size improvement that keeps you going. So I find it hard to continue with those for long periods of time. Anyway, I'm rambling. Let's go on to the number one for fat loss. And my number one, this one might have been something that you've heard in the past. Because I'm saying that because I've heard other people say it. I certainly didn't invent this. But I'm saying it based on my current plan. So the number one problem I find when we're not losing fat is that we're not tracking our food. Now, I can't put enough emphasis on this. Without fail, every time I've been adherent in tracking my food, I've been able to accomplish my fat loss goals every single time. And I'm doing it now. And so what the way I'm doing it now is using an app. I'm using MyFitnessPal. It's a free app. So I'm using that to track. I track my weight every day. I've made it part of my morning routine. So some days it goes down, some days it goes up. But I'm seeing the proper trend. It's a downward trend over time. And I've been tracking my food intake very meticulously with this. And it's been paying off. My, my weight has been steadily declining. My fat has been steadily declining. I understand that this one for me, honestly, is a hard one to get into. I don't like doing it. And the problem for me, and I mentioned this in previous episodes, is that the is the accountability factor being accountable for me is easy in the early parts of the day but difficult in the latter parts of the day and the same with diet tracking tracking my food 
I've always find it very simple in the early parts of the day to take a picture of the barcode or whatever or find the nearest thing. But then later in the day, it kind of wears off. But this time around, I've been really, really good about tracking everything. Except the, the one exception I make is I don't, so I do cheat days. Although I usually, it's usually only about a half day that I'm actually cheating. But I don't bother tracking that because if I were to track that, the point would be to get above my calories. So I, I don't find much use in doing that. So not tracking food is the number one dimension of the diet dark triad. Let's move on to number two. Number two in psychology is psychopathy. So this one is, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It's when you see people who have very low amounts of empathy and very low amounts of remorse. So it ties in nicely with narcissism because you might say that about narcissists is that when they fuck up, they don't like to admit it. Now, so this might be a good question to ask yourself because the benefit of knowing these is so that we can know what to avoid, behaviors to avoid. So if you find yourself that when you screw up, your first instinct is to blame someone else, you are well on your way towards psychopathy. Whereas when you're able to use once again it's humility and honesty because you're being honest with yourself you're you're being honest when it's difficult to be honest i can't think of anything more admirable than that and you're you're admitting when you've made a, a mistake you're taking ownership and accountability rather than looking for someone to blame that's first of all it's a sign of a good leader so it's it's good practice if you ever aspire to any kind of leadership role, which basically all people should be aspiring towards, even if you don't want to in your professional life, I would say that that's good aspiration in your family life. How do you want to lead your family? How do you want to lead your friends? Probably not by blaming them or, or looking for someone to have as a scapegoat when something goes wrong. They're not going to want you around if that's your mentality. Uh, they, if you're high in psychopathy, you're also going to be low in agreeableness. So this is an interesting one to think of too, because personally, agreeableness being a dimension of its own, isn't, despite the name, it's not necessarily a good thing to be high, highly agreeable it's easy to see where it would be bad to be very low on agreeableness because that would mean you wouldn't um, collaborate well or, um, or, or work well with other people. 
but it also but if you're too high in agreeableness you're not gonna stand up for yourself you're going to your tendency would be to give up what you want in the interest of what you think someone else wants so this might seem nice on the surface but it's really not because that that makes it impossible to have integrity to your own values so this is why it's the the concept of assertiveness is the what you might call the happy medium in agreeableness where it's where you're able to uh, collaborate with other people but you're not willing to sacrifice your values for for that cause so it's it's a it's a wisdom it's a sense of wisdom I truly believe that to know when is the time to stand up and when is the time to compromise I've heard some people say that compromising is bad but I don't think it is I think if it's your default mode it can be turned into something bad but that to me falls into if you're too agreeable so there's actually assertiveness training that is is out there and that's mostly for people who find themselves in a workplace where they want to they want to be competitive in terms of advancing their career but because they're so agreeable they struggle there and the reason is that because you're up against people who aren't as agreeable and they're more competitive and so they might seem a bit vicious to you but the reality is they're just more competitive they want exactly what you want but they're approaching it in a more effective way so having assertiveness so have is sort of the ideal and it takes time to to achieve that and it's not necessarily in my opinion it's not necessarily natural for a lot of people and I think women often struggle with this yeah I know that probably sounds sexist but it's the reality assertiveness training tends to be more geared towards women to help them out to help them to be more um, effective at advancing their careers now feminists don't like that because okay when I say feminists I mean hardcore man-hating feminists don't like the idea of assertiveness training because they say that well that's that's saying that women aren't assertive enough that's saying we're bad the way we are and that's saying that uh, we should be more like men in order to be successful well why should we change that's a pretty silly stance as far as I can tell because if you want to compete in a in a domain that's primarily dominated by men you can bitch and moan and say that you should the world should change to conform to you or you can say if I want to compete in this environment I should prepare myself to do so that's my opinion take it as you will um, but at, at any rate um, that's agreeable <laughs> that's agreeableness for you but my point there was that agree if you're too low on agreeableness that's where you get down the road to psychopathy so it's again something to be aware of if you're too competitive 
to a point of being psychologically unhealthy, that's definitely not good. And again, you see a lot of people, I know I'm going on about this, but I think that's another area where we can see people overcompensating. Like I was talking about with the assertiveness training, if you take that too far, then that's where you can become defiant and uh, disagreeable and arguing for the sake of arguing. And that's not very helpful either. Um, So in terms of muscle building, triad point number two. Not taking care of your endocrine system. This is probably one you haven't come across. So your endocrine system is what is responsible for secreting your hormones. Hormones play a huge role in muscle building. I don't think that's any secret. We've all heard about testosterone and growth hormone and insulin, how these, and uh, IGF-1, how these play a role both individually and in harmony with one another in terms of building muscle. Well, so it kind of stands to reason that your system that secretes these hormones, if it's not functioning properly, then you're not going to have optimal hormone release. So let's focus on taking care of that. And again, doing that, taking steps towards that, it's one of those things that's not really sexy. It's not really glorified by the fitness industry because it's not it's not easy to market and it's not something where you're going to say, oh, I'll start taking a multivitamin today and then suddenly start, you, you know, your biceps grow an inch. It's not like that. It's a subtle thing, but it does ultimately have a great impact. That's my belief. So the the things that I would suggest maybe looking at in terms of taking care of your endocrine system. First of all, make sure you're getting enough sleep and enough recovery and rest. Water, so keep hydrated. Uh, You should be getting vitamins. Hopefully, I'm not a big fan, to be honest, of multivitamins. I know I just said that, but, but there are some vitamins that you should make sure you're getting through diet. There's your C and your D, B, Vitamins, uh, zinc and magnesium are big ones too. They all play a role in your um, in your endocrine system functions. And if they're too low, uh, some of these, I believe it's the uh, the the minerals you are your body can't synthesize, so they're important. So make sure. I actually the ZMA or ZMA for my American friends is one that it's zinc and magnesium with some B vitamins. It's one that is promoted as a testosterone booster. I like it before bed because it gives me those, what do I, what do I want to call it? Um, it gives me those minerals pre-bed and I, it also helps me sleep deeper. As far as it theoretically boosting testosterone, well, I think any... The only way I can see it boosting testosterone is if you're low already on zinc and magnesium and because it helps your endocrine system have those minerals, then maybe your body secretes testosterone more optimally, but don't take it as a test booster. And in fact, if you can find, I'm not even suggesting taking ZMA 
pre-bed. I'm I actually enjoy just taking magnesium sometimes. Don't take oxide if you're going for magnesium. That's why I like Zetamase because it's a good form of magnesium. Uh, but magnesium is a great one to take anyway. It's it's got something like 300 functions that it it contributes towards in our body, and most people are deficient in one way or another. Um, let's move on to triad number two for fat. So this is a kind of interesting one, which is ambition slash motivation slash drive. It's another one I've talked about a lot. You might classify this as patience and perseverance because burning fat isn't a fun process. You are depleting your food. You're deliberately having self discipline, which isn't easy and isn't necessarily fun. And it requires a lot of, so it requires a lot of discipline, which is a good thing. As far as I can tell, it's a good thing to learn. But sometimes you're cranky, you're hungry, you're depriving yourself of things that you otherwise might want. And it's hard to keep up the ambition for that long term and the motivation. This is one reason why cheat days are so important. It's also one of the reasons why seeing progress is so important. If you find you are lacking in motivation, this is one of the things that strikes at different times because it strikes in the beginning. I I can't tell you how many people have said, yeah, I want to lose fat. I just, I'm not motivated to do it, right? That's common. And then there's the ones of us who we have the drive to get going, but then it fades out and we can't keep it up. Or even during the day, you have a lot of drive at the beginning of the day, but then as it wears on, you lose it. I don't want to get too much into depth on this, but if either of those are a concern to you, I would suggest go back to season one. I have an episode dedicated to this and there's a whole bunch of ideas that I've come across that are really good. Also, there's a great book out there called Drive. I believe the author's name is Daniel Pink and he talks about ways to create motivation in yourself where where none exists. So that's a, a really enjoyable book to check out if this is a problem. Okay, so third and finally. Whew, okay. For the psychological one, let's see if I can pronounce this right because this isn't a word that comes up in a day-to-day life for me. Machiavellian... See, no. Machiavellianism. Machiavellianism. Oh, there it is. Machiavellianism. Okay. This is one that it's taken me a long time to wrap my head around and I'm still working on. It's almost a combination of the first two, of narcissism and psychopathy. And some people actually call it subtraits of that. So I've, I've heard some people suggest that there's actually only two things in the dark triad. I like to think of it, because the dark triad is a neat idea that we can easily grasp to, this to me is sort of the glue that binds them together. So, 
the idea behind this one is that um, it's I'm actually let me let me see if I can pull up the the traits of it. It's being cynical, having a disdain for traditional forms of morality, and being manipulative. So you can see how those would tie in quite seamlessly within either psychopathy, narcissism, or both even. That's why there's a lot of crossover here. Um, and it's sort of, I think once you hit this point of, of being manipulative, you're well in the realm of, of the dark triad. Now, I'm going to use an example here because I don't believe that anybody truly says, hey, I'm going to be manipulative. I don't think that's how our minds work. Even the most evil, psychopathic person out there, I don't think the process in their mind is, hey, I want to manipulate somebody. I want to take advantage of somebody. I think the intentions are good in a way. Sometimes they're selfish. Sometimes they're what, this is what I want out of it. Um, but what I do see a lot of as well is when people stake their livelihood and their public persona on a certain world view, then you've got, the, the stakes are high at that point. And you need to cling to an ideology very, very tightly to the point where sometimes your integrity goes off the rails. And sometimes I don't think you even notice the manipulative methods that you're undertaking. And I'm going to use an example. I'll give you an example. I've, I, I don't like coming after people. It's way too negative, but in this case, I, there's a perfect example of this that I have to use and it'll be good for, for us to examine where he's gone right and where he's gone wrong. So the example I'm going to give you is Sam Harris, who, if, if you've listened to him speaking, he's, he's fairly well-spoken Yet, if you analyze what he says and how he says it, what you can, most of what he says you, you can see is either intentionally um, manipulative or disingenuous or ignorantly manipulative. Either way, it's probably not a good thing. So... He's, he's made his most of his acclaim by, by his attacks on religion. He also has, I mean, he also has uh, books that talk about uh, free will and he thinks it's an illusion. He has a whole book on that, which is a pointless debate, but whatever. He's spent a lot of time thinking about that, I guess. And his main objection to religion is its tendency to turn into fundamentalism, which is, I think, a fair concern. Absolutely. Um, 
but unfortunately he does, unfortunately to his cause, he does things like he'll insult the intelligence of people who believe in God so or believe in any kind of spiritual realm. First of all, he uses the word supernatural because that's got fictitious connotations, so it's a bit disingenuous. It'd be like me telling him that he's preaching to the choir or that he's... Uh, he's creating a set of scriptures or something like that. That's the kind of word gameplay he gets involved with. And he'll say things like that believing in God is like believing in the Easter bunny or something like that, which is a, a very disingenuous type of argument. So he, he engages in these kind of things. Um, and he doesn't want to acknowledge the reality that philosophers and deep thinkers for all of human history have been asking philosophical questions about the, the purpose of life and what ought we to do, how ought we to live, how do we achieve happiness, and how do we account for religious experience. Now, one of his approaches is to just say, well, it's a feeling of euphoria. It's, it's these feelings that we can account for rationally. But the problem with that is that he's he's coming from a point of view of somebody who's never had a religious experience and trying to put his own experience onto that. His own subjective experience, he's trying to paint other people's experiences with that same brush. Um, so I guess it seems to me that he's trying to, what he's trying to do is he's trying to take questions that can't be answered in the physical realm and say that they should be answered by the physical realm, which is he, he twists things around in, in a way that's almost, almost cowardice as far as I can tell, attacking, uh, attacking things that can't defend themselves. Um, now on a side note, I've seen many occasions where Sam's ideals seem to contradict himself. I'm not alone in that. That's not just me being, you know, bitter towards someone who says a lot of things I disagree with. Because he says a lot of things I agree with as well. Um, but I found it bizarre. The the thing that comes quickly to mind is, so it's no secret that he says that if you have blind faith in something, then you're stupid. Now, I agree with that. I don't think anyone should have what I would call blind faith in something. I think that's foolhardy. We have rational thought for a reason. And if if you believe that God gave you um, emotions and life, then you have to also believe that God gave you mm -hmm. rationality and you should use that rationality. That's how I see it anyway. Um, but he would he would say that and then he would say when when the whole uh, what was what was her name? The the that woman attacking that was accusing uh, Judge Kavanaugh he was going on saying, believe all women, no matter what. So you should blind, have blind faith that every woman is always going to tell the truth 100% of the time. That's the smart thing to do, according to Sam Harris. But it's the stupid thing to do that, to believe that there is a reality beyond what we can see. So that, to me, doesn't hold up. That is an extremely flawed worldview. Um... But then again, he'll also turn around and he, he sells 
with even with all his attacks on religion, he sells meditation tapes where he takes a lot of Buddhist traditions and you know, and I think he tries to let himself off the hook by saying, "Well, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater." But I'm I'm sorry, Sam, you, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to attack religion and then make money off it and make a, a name off of it, this is the other thing that irritates me: is these people or people like uh, his his uh, little friend there, what's his name, uh, Matt Dillhunty, they like to make a name for themselves and gain a claim by claiming how awful religion is. It's the most devious, disgusting thing I can imagine is trying to make money off of something that you hate. Now, they, they make various attempts to try to look virtuous in doing it. I know they make foundations which are like, if if you disavow religion, we'll help you somehow with these. But it's it's all disingenuous it's like yeah if you if you have the same hatred and resentment towards religion as we have then we'll we'll give you a hand and we'll help you out so we look all nice and and whatever while making a, a living off of attacking things we claim to hate it's so evil and this is to me the the definition of of machiavelli Mac, Machiavellianism. Holy jeez, Machiavellianism. Um, but I, th I think I went on a bit much about that. Um, again, it comes down to a lack of humility, right? I think if we can, and, and honesty, because when we think of hum, um, uh, uh, sorry, when we think of manipulation then we're not being honest, especially when we're doing manipulation of the sort I talked about and wordplay, and we're not being honest with ourselves that that's what we're doing. So if if people like Sam Harris are honest with themselves, they will say, okay, I'm being a bit manipulative here with the word, with my wordplay and my rhetoric. They would admit that. Um, I don't, I've never seen Sam Harris admit to being manipulative so if he has, I stand corrected and good good on him for at least being honest about it. But if not, then he's, or if he were to become defensive about that, then he's just being dishonest with himself. Um, so I, I would say that's an easy road to fall, fall down. And it's a dangerous one. So if you see yourself going down that way, I would caution against um, trying to course correct, right? Because that's not where we probably want to wind up. There's actually a great saying about this that I'm about to make up that goes, goes like this. Be watchful for snakes in the grass who bait you with a seed of truth down a pathway to bitterness. That thought, that express quote, came to my mind and I wrote it down. That's why it sounded to you like I was reading it. I was reading it because I wanted to get it right. Be watchful for snakes in the grass who bait you with a seed of truth down the pathway to bitterness. And that's what I feel that those types of people do. So just be on guard for it, please. And, and make sure that you're not engaging in activity that would do the same thing. And that sums up all of the triads for the for the personality traits, the the three the dark triad of personality. Let's move on to the finishing ones for muscle building and fat loss. So 
muscle building, I'm going to cheat a little bit here because I said I wanted to keep them away from things you probably heard before. This is one you probably have heard before, and it's progression. But I'm going to add a little caveat and say true progression. So progression isn't true progression if you have sloppy form, if you're if you're not being consistent in every aspect except the one you're looking to improve upon. So if you want to change the weight that you're using, that's fine and good, but you're going to need to keep the, the form the same. If you're reducing the time between sets, well, you're going to need to keep your time under tension while you're working the same. So keep all these factors in mind. There's you know, your frequency, there's your intensity, all these, all the variables of weight training need to be consistent, except for the one that you're looking to improve upon. Now, that being said, there are, of course, inverse relations. If you're wanting to improve in weight, in adding weight to the bar, your time under tension is not going to be the same. You can't lift as much weight for as much time that's physiologically impossible. So yes, keep that in mind, but keep your form the same because if you're just using sloppy form, then you're not really progressing. That's the point of this one. And for fat loss, not following the MAP method. That's, that's the best advice I could give to anybody wanting to lose fat is use the MAP method. What is the MAP method? Well, if you don't know what the MAP method is, go back to the my last, my very last um, episode, and that will tell you. It's the first, um, I want to say specifically the first five questions. But that is essentially to know your MAP, know what what your world map is, know where you are on the map, know what your destination, your desired destination is, know what the next checkpoint is on that way, so what's your a goal that's in sight towards that goal, towards that ultimate uh, desired outcome, and knowing why it's important to you. Those are the first five steps on the map method. Now the the remaining ones have more to do with creating a persona and getting outside yourself. Those ones I think can can take that the, the first 5 to the next level. But really if you do those first 5 steps then you're going to be much farther ahead than those who don't do that. And I honestly feel that way. So that sums up my my ramble today on the dark triad and I hope this was meaningful to you. Always feel free to provide me feedback. I really appreciate that and I will see you next time. My next one, I'm actually going my plan right now unless that changes because sometimes my plan does change sometimes I have a plan in mind and then something else comes up and I'm like no I've got to talk about this while it's fresh on my mind but at the moment my current plan for my next episode is actually to dive 
deeply into the topic of fatherhood. And I've got a lot of ideas about that. It's an extremely important topic to me. And one that I've done extensive research on. And um, and who knows, it might even be triggering too. So, So I'll see you next time.